0: We're going to have uh, two scripture readings this morning, um, both from the book of Exodus chapter 3 and 4. If you don't have a Bible, uh, have a listen in, you might find a Bible app you can grab. If you want a Bible as a gift from us, up there on, on the back corner there, there are some Bibles that you can more than welcome to grab, they're free, it's our gift to you. So we're going to hear from God through His Word, thanks Shelley.
1: So this is Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians.
2: Chapter 4. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what do, what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall, she, he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to, to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place along the way, the Lord met with him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him in the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs which he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is the word of God.
0: Thanks, Tim and Shelley. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Um, For those... For are visiting, as you heard, my name is Shabu. I have the great joy of being one of the pastors here. This morning, we as a church are continuing our journey and exploring the book of Exodus. That might be something you've grown up with, something you're hearing for the very first time. We pray, whoever you are, that you will hear that God is real. That His Son did come to this world to save us. And whether if you're a seeker, a follower, or somewhere in between you will be encountering Jesus Christ this morning. This morning, we come to a part of the Bible that if you've grown up in the church, you're probably very familiar with. You probably have colored in pictures or seen little ones coloring pictures. It's a story that has significance in the Bible. Actually, every story has significance in the Bible. And this morning, we're exploring Exodus 3 and 4. I want us to consider two things this morning. And that is the first one, the very big thing of who is God, what's he like, and then secondly, because of who is God, the promise that God is with us. So would you join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, whoever we are and whatever season we are in, as we've been singing about your very character as we've been reminded of your great gift to us through the Son of Lord Jesus Christ. We now continue our time of worship as we come under your word, myself included. O oh Lord, overwhelm our hearts with a vision of who you are. No matter what season we're in, may we walk around knowing you, the mighty name of Jesus. Uh, now, growing up, uh, one of the things that I was always fascinated about was, what does my name mean? So you would have heard Shabu, and I used to think to myself, what does my name mean? I asked my parents, and then my parents go to this church, so you can ask them later on. Uh, they're the only other brown-skinned, sort of older people are in our church. <coughs> That's a joke. Um, now, if you go talk to them and ask them, what does Shabu mean? I asked them, and they used to say to me, well, sort of just a popular name. Back in that time. I know, I'm still dealing with it. And then later on, uh, in my season of not really walking with the Lord, I used to hang around with certain kind of people. And one of the things one of the people said to me is, What's your name again? I said, Shabu. And they said, Oh, did you know what Shabu means? Well, it's sort of like Shabu, it's a Japanese term. I said, Oh, what is it? What does it mean? Some really deep meaning. And they said, Well, it's a hot pot dish, thinly sliced meat, the vegetables boiled in water. Served with dipping sauce. Really moved me. And then another friend of mine said to me, do you know what shabu means? Well, it's shabu. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an Asian term. It actually means drugs. And I walked away going, wow. Mum and Dad and I are still seeing the therapist about it. Um, <laughs> Names mean something, right? We just heard that this morning beautifully. Yeah. As John... Um, dedicated a little teddy as Annalee shared about the meaning of what the, uh, his name means. And actually in the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament, names mean something. There's significance in it. Uh, the name actually reveals the very story of who God is, but also the very character of who they are. It's all intertwined. And last week, we started picking up names. I don't know if you saw that in the previous chapter, chapters of Genesis, uh, Exodus. We were introduced to the history of Israel, the sons of Israel, that, that if you were hearing it for the very first time, or the second time, or even today, it should stir something in you of this wonderful story of who God is. Their names are connected with that. We met the midwives, remember them? Sephira and Pua. Sephira means fair, Pua means splendid. These names now are in the story of the Bible that will be remembered for all time as the story of Exodus is remembered. We met Moses, whose name means drawn out of water. Then we heard of Moses' son, Gershom, foreigner. I mean, the names that keep on coming throughout the Old Testament have significance and meaning, but ultimately what it's doing is it's intertwining and shaping things to show us towards the great story. That is the very story of God. Now we come up to Exodus chapter 3 and 4. We meet Moses. It's most likely been about 40 years since the last installment in Exodus. He has a new job. He is a shepherd. He's new life, and he's settled in this foreign land. In the midst of working for his father-in-law, he leads his flock to what's known as Mount Hareb. Now, this is a very important mountain in the Old Testament, and particularly in Exodus, and we've given that clue known as the mountain of God. Others would also call it Mount Sinai. This place would have a significant um, history in the people of Israel. So being the mountain of God, Moses meets God. So have a look with me in Exodus 3, verses 2 to 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And the Lord saw, he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you are standing Is holy, grand, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. It is a significant moment, it is powerful. And for those of you who might be exploring the Bible and who God is, I'm just letting you know this is not a made up story, this actually happened. You might already be familiar with this story. I mean, in the wilderness, there is a bush. On fire. But note, it's not being consumed. Now, that is a powerful sight in itself. Before we're captivated by that, in this moment, it's significant because for the audience then, and even today, what we're hearing and seeing, we're actually meeting the God of the universe. In this moment of verse 2, the angel of the Lord appears appears to Moses and a flame and a fire that's right in the bush. That flame and that picture and imagery, if you go throughout the Old Testament, it is going to come back again, particularly in the book of Exodus. But what's being displayed to you and I, and then, is this miraculous reality of this sign, pointing to the very nature of who God is, the one who is powerful, the one who himself is in control over all of creation. I mean, who else can appear in a bush without it being consumed? God alone can do this. There's a picture of God in front of us, the one who is the creator of the universe, the one whose glory does not dim, the one whose glory does not fade. The one who is self sufficient, the one who has always existed. In church history, you'll hear a term called church fathers. These are men who are leaders of the church who would make quote, quotes and commentaries on different books of the Bible. There was a gentleman by the name of Gregory of Nicaea, it's up here on the screen. It says, What Moses saw in the burning bush was nothing less than the transcendent essence and the cause of the universe on which everything depends alone, subset. What does that mean, Gregory? What it means, friends, it reveals the very power and the glory and the eternity of a God who is self-sufficient. He is not like the God's that were around. He's not like the gods of the Egyptian gods that they worshipped. It is a powerful moment. It's a powerful encounter. It is God himself revealing to Moses? This is how God has chosen to reveal himself. In this way. Firstly, by appearing now as the angel of the Lord. You hear that and see that term in your text. This is a more than meets the eye kind of moment. Now, angels appeared in the Bible. They are messengers sent by God. But here, this particular angel is described as the angel of the Lord. Now, if you know your Bible, if you know the story of the Bible, do you know when the first time the angel of the Lord appears? Anyone? Any guesses? Genesis. Genesis 16, the angel of the Lord appears, the minister to Hagar... Who herself is banished into the wilderness. She's met by the Lord, she's provided by the Lord, and not only that, she calls him Lord and actually worships him. This is the significance and uniqueness of the angel of the Lord. There are angels, but this angel of the Lord welcomes worship worship of him. And here again in the wilderness, the angel of the Lord appears. This is a term that if you want to look this up, and I would encourage you in your small groups or or in discussion at some point, look up a word called theophany. It's another way of saying it is the very moment when the God of the Bible appears visibly. It's a manifestation of the invisible God is now being seen. It's a moment in time and space where the bush itself becomes the space where God dwells. This now begins a whispering that started in Genesis. It's a whisper of what is to come. Actually, a whisper not of what is to come, it's a whisper of who is to come. Pointing towards a further story as the story of the Bible unpacks. In this person, the angel of the Lord, we are reminded also beautifully that God is not some distant being over there, out there. No, this is the God who comes into the world he created. But not only that, he's no, like no other God. He's not restricted like you and I. He's making himself known in this moment. That's what we have here. Now Moses, he's captured by this amazing sight. He's not seen anything like it. And not that only that, right now he's about to realize that he is in the presence of God. In this moment, Moses turns to see, and Moses hears a voice, the voice of the creator of the universe. And how does he hear this voice? The voice calls his name. See, when you read the Bible, what I would encourage you to do is when you hear and see words repeated, it's another way of saying there's a reason and point to it. There's a, um, as writers describe it, there's in this moment when God says, Moses, Moses, there's beauty and urgency and depth in who God is and what he's saying. This God, the God of the Bible is making himself Known a direct appeal to Moses. And not only that, God is using his very first name. It reveals who God is in this moment. That God already knows Moses and who Moses is by his name. God knows Moses. Moses discovers who God is. This is powerful because the creator of the universe knows Moses. We're also shown in this moment that God is unlike anyone else. Because not only does he know Moses by name, there's that moment where it says, you are on holy ground. It's a a, a powerful statement by God to show that he's unlike anyone else. That he is holy. Do you know that in this moment, this is the very first time the word holy appears in reference to who God is. We're seeing God in a whole new light. This is the one who now Moses will actually describe and many others will describe as God who is holy. That is his very essence, that his very name and his being, that means he is holy. God is revealing to Moses and to us in this moment that God is set apart. Set apart from everything that he is made. It is to show that he's distinct because he is the creator of the universe. Unlike Moses, unlike you and I who are created beings, he is the creator. So, friends, what we're discovering is who God is. You and I have visions and thoughts and maybe considerations on who God is. If someone asked you what is God like, how would you respond? many years ago, there was a movie by the name of Bruce Almighty. I don't know if you've seen it. We're talking about the first one with Jim Carrey, not the second one. The second one was horrible. We'll talk about it later with me. It's a statement where he's interacting with the God character. And he pulls out a file and talks about Jim Carrey as a little kid. And this is what Jim Carrey's character wrote. God is just a mean kid with a magnifying glass. I I'm the ant. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm. Powerful statement. I wonder sometimes we already have visions of what we think God is like. That could be based on our own very experience that you and I have had, whether good or bad. Friends, that is true. I would encourage you to do something like step back and look into how God describes who He is through His Word. In the opening verses of chapter 3, we re- reveal to God, is the one who appears as He pleases, God is the one who is holy, God is the one who introduces Himself as the God of your father, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob. God of the universe appears as the angel of the Lord. There is so much here, but what we're seeing is that it is God revealing himself as the one who is present. It is God himself revealing that he is holy, and this is why he alone is God. It is God who introduces himself as the ever-existing one, the one who will always keep his promises, Covenants is the biblical language. That's why he repeats those names that are so familiar to the Old Testament. Now, In our English language, we have things like God, and maybe in your English text, you'll have the word God written in capital letters. But what we're wanting and what we're introduced to, we're calling to is to, to see and taste and feel the very sense and being of who God is, that he alone is the true God when you and I are confronted with this truth of who God is, then we realize we are in the presence of one who is holy. Did you see Moses' response? He doesn't just go and go, oh, what's going on here? Oh, God, g'day. He understands that he's in the presence of a holy God. And this is why he hides his face. He knows who he is. He can't look at a holy God And that means for him, death. And later on, Moses talks about it, that if he looks in the face of God, he will actually experience death. See, when you and I know the story of the Bible, and when you are so familiar with it, I wonder in our day and age, we have forgotten and not even seen, or maybe even need to be reminded of the holiness of God and who he is. And there are those of us who are so afraid of God and just see Him as holy that we forget also that this holy God is willing to interact with you and I, including people like Moses. As I heard this morning, Moses, who's a murderer, that God interacts with him. God in His being, we are reminded that we are invited to interact with him. We're invited to be reminded and be in awe of who he is. We're also reminded to come into relationship with him, and he wants that. This is beautifully written for us. God describes himself as the one who keeps his promises, and you see that in verse 7 onwards. I've surely seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. I have come down to deliver. I'll bring them out. I've heard their cry. I've seen the oppression. I will send. This is the moment, if you had a pen or a pencil or highlighter, this is the moment where you would say that God is holy, he cannot stand sin or anything unholy, but yet he hears and responds to the cry of his people in a very personal and beautiful way. It's written in such a way that should answer that horrible question or that statement by the character of Jim Carrey he says that God is some God who's far away magnifying glass just wanting to cause this kind of pain and havoc. No, we say no, that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is close to those who are in tears and crying out in affliction. God is the one who knows the very suffering that you are facing right now in your life. God is the one who does not sit back but comes down Personally getting involved in the deliverance of his people. God is intimately concerned of your suffering. This is the God who hears, this is the God who sees, this is the God who responds, and now He sends Moses. The God who is with His people. He wants Moses to deliver this message. Dear friends, if you've ever asked the question, Does God even care? I've got an answer for you. God does care. Dear friends, these verses are there to remind you and I, he cares for you, his people, he cares for his children. God sees every single tear that you have cried. God hears you cry for deliverance. He knows who you are. So Moses hears all of this and his response is fascinating. He says, and this is all the excuses start coming out, right? He says, who am I to do this task? I mean, I love it. I mean, as I'm getting to know Moses more in this moment, I, I, f- I feel it for him. The pressure is growing. He's raw and honest. This dialogue that follows on from here is a wonderful picture of the reality for most of us. How many of you have felt and said, Oh God, me telling so-and-so about you? Who am I? Me standing before those rulers and authorities? I mean, who, who am I to say that? But, you know That's one version, but I think I wonder in, in, in our world, we've got another perspective. You and I are constantly being told the narrative. You can be a hero. You can do this. The greatest boxer that ever lived said himself, I'm the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. Sometimes we think we have got it all together. Whatever your view is, in this moment, what God is doing is revealing beautifully Subtly at first, life is actually not about you or me. When we are called to represent God, it's actually not about you or me. That's what God is saying to Moses. God's response to Moses is a promise that God will keep his word. God is the one who will bring deliverance. Now this should bring comfort to someone like this, for the task that's ahead, for the commission that's given. And this is what God keeps on repeating. It's a reminder to Moses then and to us, hey Moses, it's actually not about you. Don't worry, but I will be with you. There's even further assurance. I have sent you. And not only that, I promise you, you will come back and worship at this mountain. It's promise from God to Moses. I'm the one who sends you. I'm the one who will bring you here. The question is, as you read this, who's doing, going to do the work? God is. God uses an unholy person to do his work. Friends, this is the biblical picture of grace in front of us in the Old Testament. This is the God of the universe, the one who's able to appear in a burning bush, the one who could easily consume that yet does not choose to consume it, the one who is holy and says to Moses, Moses, you're not going to be one doing it. I will do it. I'm asking you to do one thing. Obey. Go. I love this story because it starts revealing the heart for all of us. We start coming up with excuses. But, oh. And so now we start seeing the excuses unfolding. From time here... God moves from, speak. Uh, Moses speaks of Pharaoh and his interaction with him now to the people of Israel. Now God's response is a significant one because it shapes all of the Bible. If you look at Exodus three thirteen to 15, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this to the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. This phrase in itself is describing how God himself is describing himself. I mean, You could all do a whole sermon on this. But these verses have such complexity and beauty because it describes the very nature of who God is. You know, you and I, when we meet each other, what do we do? And I'll come in and I'll see Michael and Jan and I'll say, G'day, Michael, my name is Shabu. What's your name? I already said it, but, right? We introduce ourselves by name. In this moment, God is revealing his name. Now, in your English uh, translation, it doesn't really capture it. This is the word Yahweh. It's the very personal name of who God is. What does this all mean? But Moses says, hey, uh, just a note. When I go and reveal this to them, who shall I say? Who shall I say? And God is distinguishing himself from anything around. He's saying, Moses, just tell them, I am who I am, and that's all there is to it. In other words, God is the one who says who he is. His very words describe who he is. You don't need to describe me, Moses. This is who I am. God is the one who I am, is the one who has no past, the one who is always existed, who's eternally present. This is who God is. This is why he speaks of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is why he says his name is forever, and thus, I'm meant to be remembered for generations. It's the very statement of I am is a statement also for God to reveal himself, to say, hey, guess what, Moses? I am not dependent on anyone. I'm not dependent on you. And the very burning bush is a wonderful picture of that. See, this description here reveals that God is saying, I am. I have always existed. I always will exist, Moses. Go tell them this. So Moses is commissioned, so he goes. But also, because of who he is as the great I am, he knows exactly what's going to happen. Did you pick that in verse 18? They, that is the people of Israel, will listen. In verse 19, I also know the king will not let you go. This is why he is I am. He is the sovereign God who knows all. God already knows what is to come, that the very king who rules over pharaoh uh, who rules over egypt will not let the israelites go but what he does not realize now that he's about to engage with the very hand of god and he will eventually submit according to god's terms including the very plundering of a nation i want you to think of that for a moment the earlier pharaoh he was afraid that the uh, the israelites would come and plunder there was going to be a great war now. War between Pharaoh and God against good and evil. The great I am would win and they will lose. It's a wonderful reminder to you and I when you and I grow in awe of the very nature of who God is, we can take comfort. He is God and He is still great and He is the great I am. I think sometimes we so complicate things trying to figure out who God is, maybe what we need to do is step back and trust him and take him at his word as the great I am. The one who's true and fulfilling his promises for his children. One who knows the heart of everyone, those who will bow down in worship to him and those who will actually also reject him. So now we have this picture now unveiling and revealing to us the very heart of Moses in chapter four. God has revealed Himself. God has promised what will happen. God has given him the very words to speak. Now in chapter four, we're having this personal dialogue with Moses. Moses is saying, "Well, actually, they won't believe me, God. Then what?" So God wants to give him further help and assistance. How does He do? Provides to him and said, "Do these three signs." The snake, leprosy, and river turned to blood. I don't know about you, there are sometimes when I get so familiar with the Bible, I just go, oh yeah, I've seen that before. Think about that for a moment. Right? This staff Moses has been using to direct the sheep, to protect him. And all of a sudden, God says, let's turn it into a snake. Something that has always had no life now has life, a snake. And you see Moses' response, I understand, I would have done the same thing. I mean, in the image of a snake is very significant in ancient times, particularly in Egyptian culture. You, if you look up Egyptian culture, you'll see a little cobra on the head of the crown of the king. The snake was a symbol of power and authority, right, for the pharaoh. And in this moment, this lifeless staff becomes a snake. And back again, it's a way of saying, Hey, Moses, I am the great I am. The great I am that I am more powerful than Pharaoh and the gods that they worship, including Pharaoh himself. Leprosy in those days was a death sentence. So for Moses' hand to turn into leprosy and instantly be gone, it's a great display The God of the Bible, God the great I am, has authority over sickness and health. The very river of Nile being turned into blood, the Nile was worshipped as God because it was life-giving. Now if something is going to be turned into blood, not to be able to, uh, to drink from, not to be able to bathe in, the great I am is saying, I am the creator of the universe. I am the one who determines what happens to rivers, including the Nile. I have control over this. All these signs are to reveal God is the God of the great I am. The Moses' response now starts getting even further, revealing what's really going on in his heart. Oh, Lord, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither am I in the past or the present. You have spoken to servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And God says to him, Moses, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him. Put the words in his mouth. I'll be with your mouth. And with this mouth, will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth. You shall be as uh, God to him. And take in your hand this stuff. which shall do the signs. (sighs) I understand how Moses is feeling. The excuses start coming. Lord, I'm not good with my words. Do you know what the translation really says? It says, Lord, I'm heavy with my mouth. I fumble over my words. And before you and I shake our heads at Moses, I go, come on, Moses. Remember, this is a mammoth task that's ahead of him. The country that he's left, he's known as a murderer. The very people actually said to him, who made you judge and prince? So I feel for him in this real picture of our hearts, all the signs now are given to say, God is saying, listen, I'm giving you this science to let you know I am who I am, and he will do it, that God will do it. And he reminds Moses of this beautiful truth. Hey, Moses, rhetorical question for you Who made the mouth? Uh, you did? Who makes the mute? You do. Who makes the deaf? You do. Who makes the a blunt? You. God is reminding Moses personally. Moses, I am who I am. I am the creator. I'm the one also who made your very mouth. Have you ever felt that moment where you said, Oh, I wish I had so and so's gifts? I wish I had their ability. You know what? Preachers are not immune to this. See, when you and I say, God, I wish X, another way of putting it is, God, I'm not happy with the way that you made me. Dear friends, it's a reminder to you and I to be careful that we're not going to mouth off to God. God made you and designed you just as he said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. you and I live in a culture that is constantly wanting to redesign God's design. Every day. This week, one of my kids came up to me and said, Dad, I I wish I had blue eyes and blonde hair. My response to them was, God has made you exactly as he has made you. See, the reminder here is, it's not about you, it's not about I, it's not about any of us. This is the one who's the designer of life because he's the great I am. God is the one who will do the work that he's saying to Moses. I'm the one who will put the words that you need in your mouth, Moses. I am. That means you and I have all been given gifts and abilities from God. The question is, if we move away from being so introspective and think and realize, actually, it's not about me. It's about God's glory. You and I will stop looking around and rather be focused on the great I am. Moses is looking at himself. keeps on saying, please, Lord, send someone else. And so God's anger is kindled. What's going on here? It's a reminder to say, hey, Moses, I am the great I am. I am the one who will deliver. I'm the one who will do it. I'm the one who will soften hearts and harden hearts. And Moses' response is, send somebody else. So God says to him, Moses, if you would rather have the importance of having eloquent speech rather than trusting to know that I am with you, fine. Take Aaron. Aaron. Remember, God already knows who Aaron is. Aaron will do well, but later on we'll find in the story of Exodus, it leads the people away. So Aaron becomes the mouthpiece, and God actually says to Moses, now I'm going to speak through you, you tell Aaron. I'm the one who will use you. My words will be the one that will change hearts. And then he gives him a, a practical thing of a staff, and you read that, it becomes the, the staff of God. And this whole picture now is now revealing to us it's not about Moses, it's not about Aaron, it's not about the people of Israel, it is about who God is, the great I am. The very reality, what we're seeing here is that God is on a mission and he will deliver his people. He will do it. And so now Moses heads, heads towards the direction of Egypt. He interacts with his father-in-law. He talks about what's going to happen. This thinking This He doesn't go into full detail with his father-in-law, which is fascinating. And then there's this sort of weird moment. I don't know if you picked it. Right? Moses says, God says, I'm with you, Moses. I'll give you my words. I'm going to be with you. Trust me. I am the great I am. And then it says, God wanted to kill Moses. What is going on? In the Old Testament, circumcision is significant. It's a reminder of the covenant that God has made with his people. And in this moment, what we're seeing is Moses is not willing to consecrate his son as he ought to. And so, once again, a woman comes to the rescue, his wife. Later on, you'll see this unpacked a bit further. But God is ultimately saying to Moses, Hey, I am holy. Obey my commandments. This is the God of who, the God of? Abraham. God made this covenant with Abraham to say, "Circumcise your son," as a sign to say that you belong to me." It's also a reminder that to stand before a holy God, to be in relationship with the holy God, there needs to be blood that needs to be spilled. And as Exodus sort of 4 concludes, we're given this wonderful picture of revival, if you can imagine in the sands and desert of Egypt. As they hear, and they hear that the Lord has visited. Not only has visited, he has heard their affliction. Their response is they bow in the sands of the desert and worship the great God. That's a powerful moment. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who keeps his covenant, the one who is the great I am, has come to deliver. The one who sees that Israel is his son, that loves his people as his very own, Yet he is the God who is holy, who requires justice for sin. And the God who hears the cries of his people and will come to deliver. Dear friends, has God not heard the cry that we really need of true deliverance? Has he not? Moses reminds us in this moment, we are no different. We are reluctant heralds of the great I am, yet God knows that you and I need a greater, majestic deliverer from sin and death. God has seen the misery that we're in. He's concerned about our suffering. The one who appeared as the angel of the Lord would come himself. That is Jesus Christ. The one who would come into this world who's described as Emmanuel, God, with us. Jesus Christ, who declared himself before Abraham was, I am. Jesus Christ, who did not say, send someone else, Father. No, he said, rather, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross displayed both the holiness of who God is and the very wrath of God poured out on his Son. Jesus Christ, who though, although is perfect and holy, Walked amongst sinners. Reached out to the leper. And then he would die on the cross for your sin and my sin. For your unbelief and my unbelief. Yet because of who he is, the great I am, sin and death could not hold him. On the third day he rose again. And this time he sends all who declare that he is Lord to go and proclaim his majesty Who he is and what he's done. And what's his promise, disciples of Jesus? Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. You and I don't need Aaron. Praise God. We have the Holy Spirit, the helper who empowers us, including fumbling words that have gone over five minutes over time, to empower us with spiritual gifts, To use us not to point us to ourselves, but to Jesus Christ, the great I am. And the invitation is still the same. And how does it begin? With worship. Worship of Jesus Christ, the great I am. So friends, what areas in your life and my life still needs the lordship of Jesus? Do you ever feel inadequate in what God is calling you to do? You're in good company. Can I invite you, though, not to look at yourselves, but look to the one who is Christ. ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. Would you join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, you are the great I am, the one who has truly delivered us through Christ. Lord, we come before you as fumbling servants of yours. For those of us who know you, may we be empowered to not look to, look to ourselves and our ability, but to look to the one who says, I will do it for your glory. We worship it in your name. Amen.